Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Well, hello to Light Church. Um, it is an honor to be here with you today online. Uh, first of all, I want to thank pastors uh, Benji and Jen for uh, their love, uh, their support, their invitation. Uh, everybody, uh, the leaders right there in Light Church for their hospitality. You guys are amazing. Um, it is an honor to be celebrating today a very important uh, a new beginning uh, in the history of Light Church as you guys move uh, at actually a gathering at the La Paloma Theater on Sunday mornings. It's going to be awesome. A great, great chapter for the church. Um, now, again, it is an honor to bring God's word today. Um, and um, before I want to start out, let me tell you a little bit about me and my family. So my wife and I, Karen, we're from Colombia. Uh, we just celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary, the best 22 years of her life. Uh, and, uh, we have uh, three boys. Um, Daniel is the oldest. He's 19. Then David, uh, and he's 18. And then a little guy, four-year-old Caleb. So let me talk to you about David, our second son. When he was about um, three years old, um, he uh, was diagnosed to be in the spectrum of autism. And for us, it was a big shock. Um, one of the first things that the doctors told us is that David will never be able to speak. There was a big possibility for him never to speak. So one of the first, first uh, prayer points that we have during that time was, Lord, please help David to speak. Help him to speak. And we pray that every day for weeks, for months, for years. And then about, maybe he was seven years old, right then, God answered our prayers, and David started to talk. He was talking and talking and talking. He was talking so much, our prayer had to shift. And then our prayer was, oh God, please help David to be quiet at least for five minutes, because he couldn't stop. So that's how God sometimes works. And this is one of the many times and the many lessons in life when I realized God is always faithful to help us. God is always faithful to help us. And we have seen that miracle in David's life. Now he's an 18-year-old. He just graduated from high school a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. So we celebrate God's faithfulness in our son. He's helping our son to move forward in life. Now, when I think about Light Church, and I can testify with all of you, then God has done a great, great... Um, faithful work with your church like god has come through to help light church god can come through to help you right there in your real time in your own personal life you see having this kind of inspiring faith is very important because in the world in which we live um we we we, we need that kind of hope um Today, uh, you know, uh, one of the most toxic ideas that come, uh, you know, every time in our uh, every time that there's a struggles in our society, is that idea that is wrapped in a cynical question that pretty much says, "Why is God not helping us during a difficult time? Why is so difficult? Why, if God really exists, then why He doesn't come and help people?" 
Well, hundreds of times as a pastor, I've been a pastor for, for almost now 20 years. Um, I had people coming to see me, um, anxious, uh, hopeless, disoriented, confused, sharing their difficulties with me, asking me for help. And, uh, you know, from troubles in, with their health, uh, uh, issues in their marriages, their kids, their finances, and real life is often difficult, it's tough. And when we find ourselves in situations where there is nothing else that we can do when we get in trouble, the only option that we have is to cry out for help. And who will come to our rescue? Who will come and help us? Well, we have heard this verse in the book of Psalms, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. And this is what he says in the Word of God. Um, he says here, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? Well, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And it's a statement of faith. It's a statement of a trust in God. Our help comes from the Lord. But if we're truly honest, sometimes it doesn't feel that way, isn't it? Sometimes it feels like God um, doesn't care. Or maybe He's too busy to help us. Uh, maybe He's too slow to come to our aid. And if we are not careful, we kind of pick up that kind of toxic idea then we need to perform or to do something to get God's attention so He can help us out. Um, now, I'm not sure about you, but it's easy for me, very easy for me to entertain those kinds of toxic ideas. And maybe you can relate on that. Well, if you can relate with me on that, I have good news for you. So, uh, because God is always faithful to be our help in our time of need. He will always come through. And the scriptures capture a, is a pattern, a pattern of God's helping his people from trouble over and over. Uh, uh, the same story kind of repeats itself. God's people get in trouble. God came to help them. And, and we know this, then God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you are in a situation where you may feel lost or hopeless or anxious or desperate or scared or confused and you're crying out for help, God will come through at the right time to rescue us. That's his promise to us. He will do it. Now watch this. Not necessarily at the moment and the way we want to be rescued, but in his time, and the way we need to be rescued. But God is always faithful. Now, today we're going to be inspired by one of those many stories in the Bible. And if you have your Bibles with you, go to 1 Samuel chapter 4. And let me give you some context before we read um, this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 4. So this is after the, Isra the Israelites um, go through the desert and they settle in conquering the promised uh, land. They have conquered almost all the land. Um, and, uh, but there's still some areas to conquer. They had the Ark of the Covenant, right? Remember Indiana Jones? Some of you in my generation will remember that, that film. So they had the Ark of the Covenant in a, in a town called Shiloh. And that, that Ark, that little box, uh, wooden box with the law, uh, the tables of the law inside of it, that's what they were uh, um, using to worship God. It was under a tent. It's called the tabernacle. And it's just a simple tent. And there were priests offering sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. Now, during that time, there's a guy, his name is Eli. 
And Eli is the, is the kind of the main guy, the leader. He's the one in charge of all the sacrifices in the tabernacle. Eli has two sons helping him, Phineas and Ferb. Okay, some of you say, what? No, not the Disney characters. Actually, I was joking. His, his first name is Phineas, and the other son is Hophni. Hophni, Phineas and Hophni. Now, these two young priests, they're very arrogant. They're very corrupt. Um, they took the best portion of the sacrifices for themselves, which was a sin. Um, also, they were taking advantage of their position. They were harassing women. They were abusing sexually young ladies in the tabernacle. They were taking advantage of the people. They were bad guys. Now, their dad, Eli, the high priest, he knows what their sons are doing. He knows about their sinful behavior, but he's incapable to correct them because actually he's also taking the best part of the sacrifices for himself. So he is compromised. He's also corrupt. And he's in the middle of this spiritual kind of leadership mess that a very well-known guy in the Bible, Samuel, the prophet, comes into the scene. So uh, Samuel comes as a young boy to serve under Eli, who was a corrupt leader, who was a bad guy. But Samuel is very different than Eli and his sons. Samuel, as a young man, he's not corrupt. He has integrity. And he is not going to compromise as he grows older. He will not let the culture of the leadership change him. He is going to come and bring integrity into the leadership culture of the time. So that's the context in which we're going to read this story. So let's now go, go and read 1 Samuel chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This is what the Word of God says. At that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Israelite, the Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer. Notice, and I'm going to highlight, that they were not at Ebenezer. They were near Ebenezer. And the Philistines were at Aphek. Now, the Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. And after the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp. And the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines. Then they said, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. Let me make a few points here as I put a pause. Israel is camping again near Ebenezer. Ebenezer means stone of help. Okay, that's very important to remember. Ebenezer means stone of help. Now the Israelites, they think that because God helped them before in their history, right? Then God is going to help them again. So when they lost the battle, they lost 4,000 men. This is not a small loss. When they, they go to battle and they lose 4,000 men, they retreated, of course, and they, they went to the brief mode. And they start asking themselves, hey, how come God did not help us? So rather than looking and answer in a self-evaluation exercise, somebody, some probably a religious crazy person, right, opens his mouth and says, oh, we lost because we did not bring the Ark of the Covenant with us. Because you see, the Ark, that wooden box, had become their lucky charm, right? 
In other words, they thought their help came from a wooden box covered in gold, not from the Lord. So they come and bring the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh. And the Israelite army says, okay, we're going to go to battle again. And this time we're going to win because we have the ark. And everybody's like, yeah, kind of like halftime, you know, uh, a speech. And, and Israel comes out of the locker room. You know, yeah, we're, we lost the first half, but we're going to win the second half because the ark is with us. And they go to battle again. Let's keep reading verse 10 this time. So the Philistines fought desperately again, and Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israel soldiers that died, died that day. And the survivors turned and fled to their tents. The ark, watch this, the ark of God was captured. And Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. Oh my goodness. Lots of tragedy here, right? Now, as we keep reading, let me give you other context of the story. As the tragic news of all this, this happening uh, come to Eli, Eli was, in the battle, was not in the battle. He stayed back in the camp. The Bible says then Eli fell backwards from his chair and he broke his neck and died instantly. <sighs> More tragedy. In the same day, again, Israel loses the battle. The ark is captured. The two sons of Eli die. Eli dies. Phineas' wife, who was pregnant, goes into labor, and she dies while giving birth. The grief of this woman right before he, she dies is, is so intense. Before she died, she, she named her, her son Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory of Israel is gone. The glory has departed. You see, this young lady... She was infected with that toxic idea about God and wrongly thought that God abandoned them because they lost the battle, because the leaders had died, because the ark was captured. Now, after all this, you can imagine, Israel goes into a cycle of grief and loss. The disruption was massive. Now, they don't have any army to defend themselves from the cruel Philistines. They have no experienced priests to minister in the tabernacle. According to the law, they had to be experienced priests doing that work. And the Ark of Worship, the Ark of the Covenant that they used to worship God has been captured. Tragedy everywhere. Now, you may say, oh, come on, Fernando, this is a horrible story. They're camping near Ebenezer, but they're defeated miserably. Twice. God did not help them at that time. So you may say, well, if God is not always helping us, how can we have hope for our, for our homes, for our marriages, for our health, for our jobs, for our church, for the city in, in, in which God has brought us to live? It, it, you know, especially after we deal with the after effects of the pandemic and the recovery efforts and all those things. Where does our help truly come? Is it, is it coming from the Lord? Where is it coming from? You know, to be honest, not long ago, I found myself in a very difficult place asking the same question. Where is my help coming from? Let me just give you the brief description of what happened. You know, with no fault on my own, I lost a couple of, of 
friendships that were very meaningful to me. And I was heartbroken. I felt um, used. Uh, I felt betrayed by these two friends. Um, then uh, shortly after that, changes in my uh, job uh, came and, and, and brought major, major disruption in my life. My job ended abruptly. I wasn't prepared for it. And I was thrown into a lot of confusion and, and uncertainty. Okay, so losing friends, losing my job. And then on top of that, the same week we were being told the news about our job, uh, all, of, all of us in my family, we got infected with COVID. And so we were super sick, um, very tough times. Uh, all I can do is to cry out to God, God, please help us, please, what's going on? We were just, Lord, would you please rest? Would you please help us, Lord? Would you, several times, several times, please, Lord, help me. I need you, I need you. Let me tell you, to say that I was struggling is an understatement. It was very, very, very tough. So in the middle of this anguish, one night, uh, I just woke up in the middle of the night and I really, um, it's kind of hard to describe this if you're not familiar to what I'm on about to say, but I, I, I could say I could hear God speaking into my soul. And what I heard the Lord saying was, I am your Ebenezer. Now, to be honest, the first thought I had, well, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? From that store, the Christmas store. They're like, what? And no, I remember, no, wait, there's a story in the Bible about Ebenezer. So I went and opened my Bible, 1 Samuel 4, and I started reading this story that we were talking about today. And I, I had some gems, so powerful, life-changing lessons in this passage, in this story, then kind of helped me to detox from that idea that God says that he's going to help us, but he doesn't really. And, 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 and help me to bring perspective into everything that I was going through. You see, in our, in our humanity, in our humanness, we ask, we ask God, why are you not helping us during a difficult time? Well, we often forget that God's redemptive chapters always come after the painful ones. You see, our help always comes from the Lord. But very often that help comes after, uh, 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 it follows a, almost like a pattern, a sequence of events. One chapter is set up for the next. And God's sequence of redemption and help looks more like a, like a trilogy, right? Trilogies became very popular. I remember the first trilogy I recall growing up was Back to the Future, remember? You know, after the first movie, I, I was in love of that movie. And then at the end, it says to be continued. And it was kind of like the first time I see then, then, then there was a trilogy, uh, three parts, and then uh, the Lord of the Rings and so many others then came after. But I can see God working in, in, a, in a pattern then, 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 then brings kind of a sequence on events. And that's how he reveals he is our stone of help. He is our Ebenezer. He is the one faithful always to come to our aid. And uh, let me just go back to those patterns and, and that pattern of chapters as you see how God works his way. Now, I'll be honest with you. Chapter one is a tough one. Nobody likes chapter one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Chapter one is called the struggle. Yep. The struggle. The struggle is real, friends. 
And this is the place of pain. This is the place of defeat. This is the place of loss. I tell you, nobody likes to be in this place. In the story, Israel arrogantly assumed in God's favor and help was always granted. It's almost like an entitlement. Oh, because we are believers, God is going to always help us. And based in their former successes, they felt invincible as long as they had the ark with them. As long as they followed all that religion and, and religious traditions of the tabernacle worship. Oh, yes, they were very religious but their hearts have drifted from the Lord. They were far from God. Their hearts were far from God. Their worship was only lip service. And rather than trusting God completely, the people start making room in their lives for the costumes of the pagan culture of the day. They worship idols secretly, right? Which implied very sinful behavior as well. And the spiritual leaders, as we read in their story, they were immoral, they were corrupt, they were complacent. So when they came to fight the Philistines, right, in the first battle, they're completely unaware how far they have drifted from the Lord. They think they're okay with God, but they were very far from the Lord. And watch this. But God, God reveals His love, watch this, by allowing them to experience pain, defeat, and loss. Sometimes the language of suffering, the language of struggle is very clear to show us where we're really at with God. So Israel, the, the, the Israelites, were, they were per perplexed, they were confused. A tragedy comes in from all fronts. They lost the battle, they lost their leaders, they lost their power, they lost the ark, they lost their confidence. They're camping near Ebenezer. But they're far from the Lord, who is the true source of their help and salvation. I told you, it's not a fun chapter. The struggle is tough. But the stage in chapter 1 is set for what is coming next. And after chapter 1 comes chapter 2. And I'll be honest with you, chapter 2 is not that fun either. Because if you're taking notes, write this down. Chapter 2, we call it the surrender. The surrender. This is a place of lamentation. This is a place of repentance. And yes, this is a place of sacrifice. Lots of sacrifice. I told you this chapter is not fun either. You know, in the story we see after the massive loss, the scripture tells us that Israel spent 20 years. Okay? 20 years on a spiral of confusion and grief. This is better than the 40 years in the desert. Okay, they learned, you know, a lesson there, almost to the half point. 20 years they spent with confusion and grief. With all the corrupted leadership gone, Samuel started to lead the people with integrity. It took them 20 years for the people to become more aware of their wrongdoing. It took them 20 years to realize how far they have drifted from the Lord. They understood how they slowly abandoned their devotion to God. And they started to drift And they, because they give room in their hearts to idols and to even religious tradition and holy artifacts, not to God. And their confusion started to turn into honest confession. 
I would love that for you. That your confusion turns into honest confession. Their fake spirituality turn into sincere repentance. And they start making room from God. They're starting to go back to the Lord again. And they surrender their lives to God again. I love here in 1 Samuel 7. We're going to fast forward here. 1 Samuel 7, starting in verse 3. Watch what, what the scripture says. Start in verse 3, 1 Samuel 7. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, If you want to return to the Lord with all of your hearts, get rid of all your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey Him alone. Then He will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of the images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshipped only the Lord. Then Samuel told them, Gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. And it was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. Now, this, this word watchtower, meaning then God has been watching all this time. It's not that when you were struggling. It's not that when you're surrendering, then God is away from you. No, God is always watching. You know, when we drifted from God and we, when we walk away from the Lord, God is always there for us, even if we walk away from Him. Now, first chapters are tough. Chapter 1, the struggle, not fun. Chapter 2, surrendering is not fun. But if we go through those two chapters, we're going to get to chapter 3, and that's when things start to turn for the best. Chapter 3, if you're writing in, in your notes, is the salvation chapter. That's an awesome chapter. This is the place of help. This is the place of victory. This is the place of restoration. This is where we all want to be, right? But we're not going to get to chapter 3 unless we go through chapters 1 and 2. And in the story, as Israel surrendered their idols, they made more room in their hearts for God. They started to get closer to God again. Now, they have nothing but God to depend on from this point forward. And after 20 years of work and discipleship and transformation, now they're a different kind of people. I want to take you the same thing to, to 1 Samuel here, in now chapter, chapter 7, verse 7. Now watch this. When the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army and advanced. They wanted to just annihilate the Israelites. Now watch this. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. Don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines, they begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb and offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him. Verse 10, just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel, but the Lord spoke. Watch this. The Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. Now fast forward to verse 12. Samuel then took a large stone. Watch this. This is so powerful. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mishpah and Jeshanah, and he named that place Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. 
Notice the scripture says up to this point, not from this point. He says, the Lord has been helping us all along. He doesn't say, the Lord is starting to help us now. Which is very important to see that, theologically. Because you see, God was helping them all along. He was helping them in chapter 1 while they were struggling. He was helping them well in chapter 2 while they're surrendering. And He is helping them, evidently, as they go through victory and redemption even in those seasons of struggle and surrender not just as the time of salvation god is always there helping us god was always watching over them and the real victory is not against the philistines friends it's against their struggle and their weaknesses that's the real victory god saves them not just from the philistines but from themselves God sets them free from their propensity to trust other things than God as their source of help. What a great story. There's a very good author that I'm, I'm really enjoying right now, Peter Scazzaro. I've been reading all his stuff for the last few years. And he identifies the same redemptive pattern using three different uh, terms, another trilogy kind of terms. He uses the terms orientation, disorientation and reorientation orientation is is in the surface uh, on, the, on the surface our lives are secure there is a sense of location i know where i am and what's going on in my life and we fill our hearts with lots of stuff right we but we don't notice then we are drifting from god then it comes the second part disorientation this is where pain comes in this is where there is a dislocation. I was set, life was good, but now kind of I'm moved from that place of comfort and safety. I don't know where I am anymore. I'm disoriented, bewildered, confused, baffled, overwhelmed. There is deconstruction of our self-centeredness to make room for God and for God to mature us from the inside out. Now, there is now orientation, disorientation, and now reorientation which is a better place than we were before, where there is a new sense of security, a more a stronger connection with God. This is where God becomes our only source of salvation. This is where God is enthroned as our stone of help, not anything else, not our job, not our friends, not our spouses, not our family, not our church, not our, nothing, but God. He is the stone of help enthroned in our lives because he has been watching over us and helping us from the very beginning i can tell you my personal life and probably in yours as well i can identify with this pattern you know the struggles surrender and salvation but this is the way that we can detox from the wrong mindsets that we create about god and how he helped us now i want to invite you to detox from all the wrong ideas about god and and the way then he is our stone of help. And let me ask you three things as we start wrapping this up. Number one, friends, as God pours his unconditional, unconditional love over you, what is he revealing about himself in the middle of your struggles? What is he saying to you in the middle of your struggles? Because, you see, toxic thinking will cause our struggles to pull us from God. 
But if we connect with God in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of our pain, discomfort, and confusion, He will reveal Himself as our Savior and lover of our soul. He will reveal the times we thought we were alone, but He was always there working the night shift. When nobody else can see Him, He works the night shift. He will whisper in your heart that His delay does not mean denial, that He's coming to bring His help and salvation. This is the place where God reveals that when we fail Him, He never fails us. Then we evict, evict Him from areas in our hearts and, and we entertain the wrong things and we give room to other things. He patiently waits for us to surrender again to Him because the Lord never leaves us nor forsakes us. Even when He is angry at us because of our bad choices, His mercy always prevails. That's the entire love of God. That's the first question. What is God revealing about Himself as you go through your struggles? Second question. What is God revealing about yourself and the rooms in your heart that you are dedicating to other things rather than God? You see, God doesn't come with a condemning, judging finger at you. Oh, you're doing this. He comes with love and grace to show you, hey, you know what, Fernando? These areas in your soul, in your heart, you're creating apart from me. I want to call those things in you. Not because I'm mad at you, but because I love you. And I want to be Lord and everything over your life. I'll be honest with you, during the, the last year with all the pandemic, I watched many of my friends, pastors, and uh, mostly leaders, spiritual leaders, discovering how their buildings, right? Their traditions, the crowds they, they gathered every week were kind of like that golden box and object of their worship. Their security was into that. I also watched family and friends being challenged by God as their idolatry became kind of obvious. They were worshiping political leaders from either side, whatever. They were idolizing a version of America, the country, right? Last year with all the elections and stuff. They were um, idealizing and worshiping uh, the, the, the Constitution or their idea of social justice and and, and they were putting their trust in so many other things, and not necessarily bad in itself, but when they take play, the place of God, that brings problems. I have had conversations with friends that became aware that the trust uh, for help and salvation was not in God, but was in their job, was in their money, was in their possessions, was in their relationships. So. Why don't we ask ourselves that question? What is God revealing about myself? What rooms in my heart I'm crafting to separate from God and to have my own thing, my own secret idols there? Are you able to identify some of those things you trust to help you in time of need that are taking room in your heart instead of God? Ask yourself that. Now, can I be transparent and vulnerable with you? Uh, even though I just brought you in, in many ways to so many of you, I, I, you know, let me just be vulnerable and share some of what God has been challenging 
me during this time as I go through all the struggles and the surrendering things. Um, God showed his mercy and love for me by making me aware of several wrong assumptions and idols that I picked up, especially in the last few years, okay? Number one, I had placed my hope in other people to help me, not in God. And that's what created uh, a lot of dysfunction in friendships and wrong expectations in friendships. Second, I, I, I will be honest, comfort became an idol for me. Uh, and I was worshiping my comfort. Because all of us in our human nature, we all make decisions to avoid discomfort. We want comfort. We want to work hard and make money so we can avoid pain and stress down the road. So I started to, you know, trust in comfort. And it ended up actually uh, something that I started developing that I never did before, but I started buying a lottery tickets because I thought, hey, you know what? If I win the lottery, I will have all these resources to bless the kingdom of God. And, and I was putting my trust more in winning the lottery than in God's miraculous provision, which he has been so faithful all my life. So in my heart, I was carving rooms to trust people to help me. I also dedicated room for comfort, for money and possessions to help me. And recently I was confessing all this and I realized I became aware. I was talking to a very good friend of mine and he's listening to me and, 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 and he goes, Fernando, I'm glad you're aware and that you're confessing all this to the Lord. But can you be a little bit more compassionate with yourself? <laughs> so true. Very often we are so tough on ourselves. And we need to be reminded it is so important. And as we became aware of our idols, God is always watching over us with kindness and mercy. He's not going to come and say, oh, finally, you realize that you were worshiping other things than me. No, he's going to be, I've been here waiting for you. Welcome home. And he will be always ready to bless you. He's not beating you up. So do not beat yourself up. Just receive his love and confess and repent. And the last question is, what steps are you taking towards repentance and surrender to make more room for God, to surrender completely to Him. What are those steps? In my case, I had to surrender all those friendships to God. And rather than resenting them for rejecting me, I have come to a place where I can have compassion for them. Um, listen, whatever harm people cost in your life, they will not rob you from the wonderful plans that God has for you. He is always faithful. God is the stone of help. He is your Ebenezer. I also had to repent for making so much room to, for comfort. So I just not stopped buying lottery tickets, but I also started to trust God more and more, not in my paycheck, not in my ability to make money, but in God to provide for all of my needs. And I cannot, I mean, I wish I would have more time to share all the miracles that God has performed recently. What about you, my friend at Light Church? What chapter are you right now? Are you in the struggle, chapter one? Can I invite you to move to the next chapter to surrender completely before the Lord? Go in each, do an inventory of your soul and go to every place in your heart. Evict whatever is not healthy and whatever is not pure and lovely. Make room, 
Make more room for God in your soul and your heart. And if you are already in that chapter of surrender, if you're already processing things and giving up to God and, and surrendering to Him, let me encourage you, then your reward is coming. Then the chapter of salvation is just in the next page. It's just around the corner. That the story is being written in your life. And you will be able to see all throughout your journey that God has been present in every single stage. Even when you were struggling, He was there for you. He is your Ebenezer. He is your stone of help. So today... Um, I'm walking into a new chapter of salvation and redemption for me and my family. I'm writing that in between chapter 2 and chapter 3. After all the disruption and craziness uh, during this difficult time, I was able to surrender everything to God again. And once you start surrender everything to God, it's amazing how you can connect with Him. I started to listening to God's voice again in a very clear way, showing me what is next for me and my family. So. Once, it's amazing, once we depend completely on Him, we're able to listen to His instructions. So uh, God called us to sell everything, um, to trust the Lord, to pack all our stuff, and to move, to go away. And God pointed to Nashville, Tennessee, uh, in the next couple of weeks there. I don't have a house, I don't have a job, but I have the conviction that God is my Ebenezer. He's my stone of help. And he will carry me through as we relocate there. Um, so he has always come through. God has been always faithful. He will always prevail. And that's my prayer for all of you at Light Church. The best years, the best season are yet to come in your church. And in your personal life, just watch as you keep trusting the Lord. As you declare that nothing else is the source of your help but God. He is your Ebenezer. Do not camp near Ebenezer. Camp right on top of it. Surround yourself with God's grace and mercy, and you will see God doing powerful things in your life. He will always come through to help you. Let me pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for the privilege to be here with my friends at Light Church, and I bless them. I bless them with not just the knowledge of knowing that you are our source of help, our stone of help, the faithful one, but also, Lord, then in the middle of their struggles, Father, then they can see with eyes of hope and faith that the next chapter is coming. And yes, for those that are in that in between uh, the struggle and the surrender, I pray that you will show yourself and how you can help them to see the areas that they need to surrender to you the areas of repentance, the areas that they need to walk away from. And I pray a blessing over them as they walk in that journey. And in Jesus' name, we believe for that chapter of salvation to come soon, to be amazing, to be able to celebrate your faithfulness. Then we'll prepare them for the next pattern. Also with new struggles coming, with new places to surrender, and with new victories as we move from glory to glory according to your perfect plan in our lives. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and grace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.